Yeah, I think especially early on, whether, you know, no matter what age you're getting into this, right? I mean, it d- doesn't really matter. But and, and and I think that this is true for any real estate investor, regardless of where you're at. But like the concept of the velocity of money is just so critical, especially if you're trying to grow a portfolio relatively quickly. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are, too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having my man from the Northeast. I believe he's in the Boston area. Axel Ragnarsson. Brother, how are you? Welcome in. I'm doing fantastic. How are we doing? Amazing. So I just saw a post and he's letting people know that having a little bit of equity in their deal is not the (laughs) game. He is somebody who I've watched just kind of set the world on fire. He's not even 30 yet. and He's built a massive portfolio and not by counting LP doors. And so, Axel, man, just I, I want to do it publicly, man. I'm super proud of you and what you've been working on and the huge podcast you have. So if you're, you're OK with it, tell the listeners a little bit about that and your origin story. And then let's jump into these uh, missteps, because I know there's got to be one or two considering how many deals you've done so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and I appreciate you saying that. And, and I want to throw that right back at you as well. Uh, you know, I see what you're doing. It's just through LinkedIn, social. I love this podcast concept as well. You know, talking about where people kind of trip up along the way, because I think that's where people really learn. So, you know, really excited to share some of the things I've learned because because God knows there's plenty of them. But uh, the quick origin story on myself. So I live in Boston, Massachusetts now, grew up in Southern New Hampshire. So grew up about an hour North of Boston and went to college in New Hampshire and kind of spent, you know, have been in the Northeast forever. But what kind of gave me the real estate bug was in college, I was trying to figure out, you know, what I could, what kind of businesses I could run. And it was really sparked by the fact that I was buying and selling a lot of stuff on the side and, you know, had all all the side hustles that everyone kind of talks about where, you know, buying stuff on Craigslist and selling on eBay and those, those flipping cars and, basically doing anything I could to make money or what else I could buy and sell. And that kind of led me to real estate through enough Google searches. And while I was learning about real estate, you know, stumbled upon multifamily real estate and, and rental real estate and you know the concept of passive income. And basically just started trying to figure out how I could go out there and buy some kind of rental property or multifamily property while I was um, while I was still out there in school. So Basically bought a, a small multifamily, a three-unit deal just in my hometown in, in Chester, New Hampshire, a small town in Southern New Hampshire, and basically just rolled that deal into uh, a few more. And then I ended up leaving school and really tried my hand to go on full-time in the business in terms of just going out there, finding deals, uh, putting them together with my own capital and and basically refinancing my cash out and, and utilizing the Burr model that you know, I think everybody's kind of familiar with nowadays. So that was my my entry into the business. And what led me down to Boston was actually a job opportunity. So I was working full-time trying to grow my real estate business, realized that lending was extremely hard when you're, you know, 22, 23 years old and you know, people are asking you for your tax returns and your pay stubs. And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't really have much to offer you on that front. So I was like, let me go get a job and start making some money so I can make the real estate a little bit easier. And long story short, I was I was at that job for a few days. 
when I got a call from a seller and I received a direct mail piece of mine that, you know, I was still sending direct mail out trying to buy deals, couldn't answer the phone because I was at my day job. And by the time I got home and returned his call, he ended up taking an offer from somebody else. And it would have been the best deal that, that I had done at that time by far. <laughs> and basically went into the office the next day, told my boss a story. And I was like, Hey, I just, you know, I don't think I can work here, <laughs> leaving too much on the table. And we had a good laugh. And he was like, I totally understand. And that was about a couple of years ago and have been full time in the business since then. And, and now we're, you know, buying small to mid sized multifamily properties. We've been raising some capital and doing deals outside of New England, you know, entered Texas and Florida and Indianapolis is some of the markets that we're buying in now. And you know, vertically integrated our property management up in New Hampshire, which is where the bulk of the portfolio is, and, and just trying to grow the business. So that's probably the high level spark notes. But yeah, happy to dive into any specific part of that. <clears throat> no, I think it's amazing. And, you know, we have a similar origin story of trying to figure out this multifamily thing in college. The th- difference between you and I is you took action and I said, oh, I'm just going to go get a job. And then, you know, one day possibly it'll work out if I meet some people. So this is the power of time, ladies and gentlemen. This guy's going to be retired here in the next couple of years. And, you know, other folks are still going to be trying to figure it out because they were scared to take action. So, all right. You said you bought a triplex and then you rolled it into other deals. Did all of these deals go flawlessly? Like, I mean, was this thing perfect or what? Well, it's funny because, I mean, a lot of them went really well early on. And, and I'm not going to you know pretend I'm a genius and say that I was doing something different, right? I think the market helped out and that obviously the market was just shooting up in 2016, 2017, 2018, which is when I was you know, the first few years of the business for me. And I happened to be just buying really good deals in terms of, you know, going direct to seller and getting discounted purchase prices and all that. But yeah, I I made any number of (laughs) mistakes on a lot of those early ones, whether it was, you know, financing them incorrectly and maybe paying too much for hard money or private money or overpaying on renovations because I didn't really thoroughly understand the construction side of the business. And I was trusting too many contractors and subcontractors and, and getting taken for a ride on that side. You know, the first deal I did, I actually sold for like five grand more than I paid for it, which is kind of a huge L. <laughs> but uh, the reason for that one was I paid, I, so I quote unquote paid cash. Right? I had a private lender that that helped me get into that one. And it wasn't a big rehab project or anything, you know, any major reposition. But as a result of that, I didn't have an appraisal done like you would in a, tra- in a traditional, you know, deal where you have like a more traditional lender. So I actually thought, you know, I, I, I paid what I thought was the right price for it, cash flow, it made sense. But the property had a septic tank that was too small for the property itself. And it was also too close to the drilled well. So when, by the time I went to go sell it, that issue disqualified it for pretty much all residential financing and most commercial finance. So basically, I cut my buyer pool down to only only cash buyers because I didn't catch that going in on the on the buy side. So you know that was an example, right, of something that didn't go well. And luckily, you know, I banked a lot of cash flow on that one, and and I got my real estate license along the way, so I saved a bunch of money when I was selling it. So it wasn't really like a you know a huge financial mistake, but yeah, I mean, you learn a ton of stuff as you grow, right? I think we all we all obviously do, and there's there's so many things you learn. But uh, you know, those are some of the big ones early on. Is is working with the wrong people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coming up, let me for jump sure. in on that because there's a whole lot of people buying a lot of stuff right now, and they have no clear understanding of what cost basis means. Right? They just assume because they buy it that the prices or the value is going to go up, and I think there couldn't be anything further from the truth. So you know. Talk to them about like not you didn't get the appraisal. 
you probably don't need an appraisal now because you understand cost basis, but why is it so important to buy it at the right price? And then, you know, what has to happen in between so that you make money on the backside? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think especially early on, whether, you know, no matter what age you're getting into this, right? I mean, it d- doesn't really matter. But and, and and I think that this is true for any real estate investor, regardless of where you're at. But like the concept of the velocity of money is just so critical, especially if you're trying to grow a portfolio relatively quickly. You know what I was trying to do. So getting in at the right price is so critical because, you know, it allows you to take your cash out sooner or roll that cash into another deal faster, right? So for me, the goal was you know, the numbers on that one, I think I paid like 195 for a three unit deal. And I ended up selling it for a shade over 200. But when I bought it, I was like, oh, this is worth 250, 260, 270 all day long. And, you know, I'm going to go and, and add a little bit of value to it. I'll raise the rents a little bit. I can pull my money out and then, you know, then I can go out there and buy another deal once this one is on long term stabilized debt. And I basically hampered myself, obviously, from doing that because I had, I think I owned it for nine, 10 months before I went out there to try and refinance it. And as I was trying to refinance, I ran into the issue of I was very lendable since I was a kid with no job. So didn't think about that one before I got in. And I was like, you know what? So I'll just go out there and sell it. So I listed it for that 260, 270. And I was like, you know, I'll go take the the money I make on this one. I'll go, you know, roll it into another deal or something like that. But um, obviously I ran into the issue I just mentioned and that and that I wasn't able to do that. Right. And I basically, you know, the return on my cash that I had in that deal. For nine, 10 months was pure cash flow, right? It was no equity growth. And, you know, real estate's a game where we all get into it for cash flow and passive income. And I think that's what entices a lot of people to or brings a lot of people to real estate. But you really make money by growing the equity or growing the value of a property or, you know, buying something below market, taking your cash out, buying something else. Now we have two properties that are appreciating rather than one. So anything you can do to make sure that you set yourself up to successfully do that and to and to really stretch your dollars is going to allow you to grow your business a lot faster. And I basically didn't do that, right? Because I didn't understand some of these things as I went in and and it kind of stunted my growth a little bit early on. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. All right. <laughs> you you gave so many jewels there. And the thing that I really want to dive in on is the fact that it's not as much about cash flow as it is the equity growth early on. Like when you got a pile of money and everything's good, yeah, figure out cash flow. But why do you like pulling that equity lever on the deals in the beginning? Yeah, I I think it's you know, just kind of fundamentally, if you think about, you know, you got 50 grand and you go out there and you put, you know, 25% down on a $200,000 property, right? For just really simple round numbers. And let's say, you know, that $200,000, let's say it's a four unit deal and you're making $150 a month net cash flow on your, on your four units. So you got, you know, 600 bucks coming in every month and that's, you know, $7,200 a year. So let's say you're making, you know, you got your $7,200 a year on your $50,000 investment and, and that's a really good return. Not, I'd be happy with that. But, you know, if you compare that, 
you know, $70, $200 a month is great. That's good money, but it's going to take you a while to earn back your 50 grand. I mean, that's going to take you whatever that is, you know, six, seven years or something like that. The real value is putting 50 grand down on a property. You know, you pay 200, that's worth 250, right? And you've just created $50,000 of return. I mean, it takes so long to earn that in cash flow, right? I mean, that's, that's amplifying your returns and actually allowing you to, to recycle that money on a lot, you know, in, in a much more, um, I guess just, just that you can just recycle it a lot faster, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So for me, you know, I'm thinking about cash flow is great, you know, it pays my rent and pays my car payment. And, you know, it allows me to, uh, to, to kind of live a little bit more of a, you know, comfortable and free life, which is obviously what we're all trying to do. But the people that are getting really wealthy in real estate are the guys that are buying stuff at 10, 20% below market value because they're doubling their money the second they close on the property, right? And I think that's where the real value in real estate is, especially compared to other, you know, investments like the stock market or any anything else, is the cash flow is great. But like, you know, you look at how people really make money in the business, it's the people that bought the property for, you know, the 200 grand a couple of years ago. And now it's worth 320, 300 grand, right? And I think a lot of people are in that position now in the market. And yeah, they made some cash flow. They made a few grand a year along the way, but then they sell it for $150,000 more than they paid for it. And that's that's where you really make money in this business. So being really mindful of that and understanding that you got to buy deals that cash flow, you know, you got to be smart with with that side of the business. You know, that's kind of goes without saying, but understanding that you, if you really want to make money, you got to think about the equity side of it. <laughs> the equity side. People are so caught up in cash flow. And that cash flow is great, but it's really if you're doing a reposition, sure. <laughs> well, here's the thing though. If you're in a reposition early on, it's not going to cash flow. You're got down units. You're trying to invest where you need to invest. The real play is the equity game. Now the cash flow is super important, especially if to service the debt and the other things. So I, I love that, man. And I think the cash flow plays into the next piece, right? And so what do you, you, you've talked a few times about what we call the flip, where you either refi and get your money out or you sell the deal, right? And so this deal you sold, have you kept any deals and did the actual Burr method that you talked about early on in the podcast? Yeah. So I, I did pretty much all those early deals outside of that first one where it was the reason I didn't refinance. It was because the lending side was a challenge for me. And I was trying to go out there and get a 30-year fixed rate loan where they, you know, they're underwriting you as the borrower versus the property. And what I realized as I started doing those first few deals is I got to go out and get commercial loans because they're less concerned with me as a borrower and more concerned with the property. So I didn't realize that on the first one, you know, until after I sold it. But a lot of the early deals I did, I would hold on to them. And 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 basically the what I asked myself when I was thinking about, you know, should I sell this or should I go and refinance this is, you know, is this something that I would want to own long term? Like, can I envision myself being happy that I own this in a few years? You know, if it's in a good neighborhood, if it's quality tenants, if managing, you know, if, if the management side is really easy for my management company or, you know, myself at the time. And that was really what I cared about. And where if it's, you know, on the flip side, if it's something that is maybe in a neighborhood I don't really like or a little bit outside of where I want to grow my portfolio or, you know, or if they, after I refinanced it, the cash on cash return wasn't that great or the cash flow wasn't great. And I was kind of like, you know, breaking even or something like that every month, then I'd go and sell it. And over time, that's kind of evolved to pretty much everything that I, that I do that's smaller, you know, three to 10, 12, 15 units. I'll probably just end up selling it because I think the deals that I want to hold on to now are, are larger assets or larger portfolios of deals. So yeah, the last couple of years, I've been selling off all the three units, the, the six units, the five units that I bought, you know, four or five years ago, because 
it's just, you know, as you evolve and as you grow the business, right, there's just less incentive to hold on to that. I think I could go better use the money that's tied up in the equity and that deal somewhere else. So, so now, you know, that's kind of how I approach that is I want to hold on to the big deals that are, that are great financing. You know, you can go out there and you can get like the, the Fannie Mae and the Freddie Mac, you know, small balance loans and like the really good kind of fixed rate longer term financing. And if it's the smaller stuff, I'll probably just end up selling it. That's kind of how I view that decision now. Love it. And so have you successfully been able to burr any and have you ever, have you had any learnings in the refinancing period outside of, hey, it'd be nice to have a W-2 <laughs> to yeah, get so, commercial loans? Yeah, exactly. So I, I did a ton with local banks and local credit unions, uh, still do a lot with local banks and local credit unions. And, um, you know, I, successfully, I would say, 90% of the deals we did. I mean, that first one, I had a couple of other, you know, small deals early on where maybe I wasn't able to refinance out all my money, right? Maybe I left, you know, 10, 12, 15% of the deal in there because I, you know, rehab went over budget or something like that. But, you know, we've done a lot in the last couple of years, you know, a lot of these, you know, we've done a lot of portfolio deals just because the nature of our market is it's a lot of smaller properties. And if you want to do a quote unquote big deal, you got to buy somebody's portfolio. So we've been doing a lot of like, you know, 25, 27, 40 unit type portfolio deals. And those have all gone really well. I would say that where I've kind of misstepped along the way there is not just spending enough time just vetting different folks that, that are partnering with us on the refinance side. You know, I, I kind of got into the comfortable, I guess, comfortable position of just going back to the lenders that I've always worked with and saying, they got a nice working relationship. Let's just go ahead. You know, we got this portfolio that we want to refinance. This is what it's worth. This is what we want to get for terms. You know, if you can do that, great. You know, let's, let's, let's get it done versus really shopping, you know, just our, just our, um, basically just our deal around and really talking to a different, you know, a number of different lenders or talking to mortgage brokers or really seeing what was out there on the lending side to most, to best maximize the deal. Right. So I think that's kind of where, you know, where I probably have, have learned a little bit more is basically getting less complacent with just going back to the same people, you know, same bank that I've refinanced the last five deals with and having them refinance because we have a relationship when in reality, I should probably either talk to a bunch of different banks or go to a broker to help me with that process since I would have you know, maybe gotten a better rate or, or taken a little bit more out as a cash out or something like that. But I think the short answer to your question is, I mean, we've we've successfully burned out all of our cash on, I mean, pretty much every deal we've done and, and we get into really good deals is essentially the fundamental piece of it. Like we buy, I mean, I'm so selective with the deals that that we buy in terms of we're coming in at 75 or 80% of the current value before we're even doing any renovations and adding additional value. So, or, you know, raising rents or, you know, improving the management. And that's just, you know, obviously the market's helped with that too, right? Let's all, I think we should all just be honest with ourselves. The market's helped with, <laughs> you buy a deal six months ago and you go to refinance it six months later, it's likely the market's totally different than it was when you bought it. I mean, that's just kind of fundamentally what we've been doing here the last couple of years. So, so I can dive into the refinance side of that specifically, but I want to make sure I <laughs> answered your question, kind of rambled there. No, I think you did. The, it's not relaxing when you're in the deal. Was there any financial ramification to you not going to market and using or using a broker? Um, yeah, so I can get a, you know specific numbers on a recent one we did. Basically, there's a bank in New Hampshire I got a great relationship with, and this is one of our Manchester, New Hampshire deals, which is you know for the listeners about an hour north of Boston. So kind of my quote unquote you know local market and. Basically, it was a 27 unit portfolio. We bought it for an amazing price. You know, basically, it was in the 80s a door that we bought it for. 
And after we just organically raised the rents on the tenants that were there, uh, we didn't even really have to turn that many units. The rents were just so comically low. That was going to appraise for 115, 120 a door. And we maybe put, you know, four or five a door in average across the whole portfolio. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, we got, we're going to have this huge cash out. This is going to be a great deal. This is, you know, uh, this is perfect. I'm going to go take it to the, to the bank that I've worked with numerous times that I know, you know, does a good job. And I like the people I work with there. And basically they offered, I think their loan amount came out to be like 76 or 77%, you know, loan to value. It was like a rate in the low fours. It was like 4.2 or something like that. You know, kind of a normal amortization was 25 years on that one. And so it was kind of, quote unquote, the normal terms you'd get from like a local bank, small, small local bank, local credit union. And basically I was like, yeah, that, that sounds great. You know, I, I shopped to buy a couple of others, shot an email to a couple of other banks I've worked with in the past and their, you know, their terms were a little bit worse. Then we just went in and, and I just went and refinanced the deal. And obviously outcome was great. We took a bunch of money out. It was a win. But after I did that one, I was talking to a mortgage broker buddy of mine who was like, Dude, you sh- you needed to bring that to me. Like, what are you doing? Like, I could have gotten you, you know, eighty percent loan to value. I could have gotten you a thirty year AM, and maybe I get you a year of interest only on that. And um, and and I was just like sitting there. I was like, yeah, why didn't I do that? What you know, I just got complacent, and I just went to a person that I had a relationship with, and I wasn't really diligent about shopping what was out there. You know, I think people do that oftentimes on, with debt because you have a person, you know, whether it's a broker or whether it's a lender that you like working with. And maybe end up leaving a percentage point on the table or some other terms on the table just because it's easy to work with that person, right? So, you know, for me, I, I, you know, I don't know, probably 60, 70, 80 grand in terms of cash flow proceeds that I left on the table, which, you know, is really material and going out there and doing other deals or putting it else, you know, putting it to work somewhere else, you know, a year of interest only obviously has huge ramifications. So for me, I was like, that's just not something I want to make the mistake of doing again, right? I want to go and, speak with a more, you know, a couple of mortgage brokers, or if I'm going to be the person that goes direct to the banks, you know, I'm going to speak with 10 banks, right? I'm going to really exhaust my options to make sure that I really am getting the best terms because I think that we're in this point in the business where good deals, they're not, <laughs> they're not just growing on trees, right? It's not like it's easy to go out there and, and get a good deal. So you really got to maximize what you have like in front of you, right? Whether it's, you got a deal on the contract and you're buying it, or you're going out there to refinance a deal, or you're going out to, you know, to sell a deal, you know, you really got to do the most you possibly can just because you can't afford to leave anything on the table right now. There's not, there's not good deals aren't just easy to find, right? You got to make sure if you have one, you really maximize it. So that's been a learning thing for me because I did that for a long time. I kind of had my relationships and, and I would just work with those folks. And, you know, I probably on a number of refinances along the way, even before the one I mentioned, I was probably leaving some money on the table and, and I think, you know, maybe I slowed down the growth of my business as a result of that. But that's, I think that's kind of the big one is, is, is complacency can get, can put you in a tough spot <laughs> when you're, uh, when it comes to buying or refining or selling deals. Man, talk about words of wisdom. Axel, this has been absolutely amazing. It's amazing how much you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. So thank you for being so generous with your time today, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really appreciate you uh, having me on. I love the show and love what you're doing. And um, yeah, look forward to, to watching you grow your business as well. Thanks, man. You didn't say the name of your podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. So it's strictly a multifamily show. I'm talking about everything multifamily there. 
And I can I throw out how people can get in touch with me as well. I don't know if you're going there, but website is www.alignedrep.com. Our business is Aligned Real Estate Partners. And uh, you can find me on Instagram too. I'm really active on there at Multifamily Wealth. So feel free to reach out to me in, in any of those places and um, I'll sure to uh, be sure to connect. Awesome. Awesome. To the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.